meeting is being recorded. Hello, this is Robert Yoho. I'm a retired physician, and this is Surviving Healthcare. And I'm privileged today to have Benjamin Bathin here, who is a super functional guy. He's a high-level computer uh, uh, engineer uh, type person, and he had a terrifically unfortunate experience with SSRI antidepressants. And Ben is going to tell the story, and I'm just going to shut up and let him have at it. Hi, uh, Dr. Yoho. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're all colleagues here, Ben. You don't have to doctor me. And before you start, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me just go ahead and do the 10-second disclaimer. This is not medical care. If you have a problem, you need to see a licensed provider and use this information at your own risk. I'm sorry to have to do that, but we have to do that because of lawyers. So go ahead. Okay. And, and one thing that I, I would like to say before I say anything is is regardless of, of what I talk about in this interview, nobody should make any sudden changes whatsoever to their medication, uh, especially SSRI medications. That's that's very dangerous. You definitely need to be supervised and you need to talk to a doctor before you make any change at all. Good, yeah, that's all true. Um, okay, so I'll, I'll just jump right in and start then. Uh, you know, I, I contacted you in 2018. I was convicted of three felony charges of PC-422, uh, criminal threats, uh, with three serious strikes in the South Bay, uh, Chula Vista courthouse and sentenced to two years, uh, in the California state penitentiary. And the cause of that was the SSRI antidepressant medication Lexapro. Uh, and in this specific case, the complaining witness was the therapist who had initially started me on Lexapro uh, and repeatedly recommended that, that I take this medication um, as part of this treatment program. Uh, so throughout therapy, uh, you know, initially I, I resisted saying, you know, I'm, I don't think it's a good idea to start on medication. Uh, you know, I know there's a, a stigma about it and it can affect your ability to get a security clearance or, or join the military. Right. So I, you know, I prefer not to take any medication. And we, we talked about it at length uh, for several sections and then eventually she said, it's my moral and ethical obligation to make sure that you are taking this medication. And then she wrote out the word fluoxetine, which is the chemical ingredient in Prozac, uh, 60 milligrams, and handed me a yellow sticky note and said, it's my moral and ethical obligation to make sure you're taking this medication. So you, were, you had depression, what they call depression symptoms. I did. I had a, a bad job. You know, I was working way too many hours. Uh, I was working in the video game industry where, you know, long hours are the standard. Um, and then it's, you know, it's a high stress environment. Uh, I was 25 at the time. And, um, you know, it's same thing that happens to anybody that starts on these drugs. You've got a crappy office job. Eventually you go talk to a therapist uh, they put you on SSRI medication, but they do not disclose all of the known reactions to that SSRI medication, which include uh, reactions as severe as uh, homicide, 
homicidal ideation is a very common, common side effect of these things. Uh, one of the known reactions in the FDA database is gunshot wound. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, why are there right now sitting in the FAERS database at the Food and Drug Administration? There are, let me see if I, I want to make sure I get this right. 344 results for gunshot wounds attributed to patients that were prescribed escitalopram, the active ingredient in Lexapro. So that's both for Lexapro and it's a generic equivalent. Gunshot wound. Why, why is that an acceptable side effect of, uh, of a medication? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the other thing that, that I found is that I am only one of let's see, it will be 45, including my case, there are 44 FDA detailed adverse reports for patients who were prescribed Lexapro and experienced a known reaction of imprisonment. So <laughs> that, was re that was a side effect of the drug, right? L let me just back up for the audience for one second. And, and I mean, this, I got a very high functional guy here and he's into the data. But just for the, the simple broad brushstrokes are that we have known that these this set of drugs, the Prozac class drugs, cause uh, tremendous uh, agitation and occasionally violence, uh, including murder and suicide. We've known this since the drugs were initially studied. Prozac was studied first, I believe, first SSRI. And the Lilly, the manufacturer, uh, when when they were sued by people that had relatives who had killed themselves, uh, they disclosed in their discovery in a, during a lawsuit that they knew all along that this drug caused uh, these reactions in a certain number of people. So this is nothing new. And we're going to tell Ben's anecdote about his experiences. Um, Lilly has been sued. I mean, many, many, many times they've they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars settling and covering up this information, and uh, and uh, you, Lexapro is a related compound. Is that an SSRI or related? It's very close. Lexapro is an SSRI. Yeah. So it's very similar to Prozac. It is basically uh, very chemically similar, yeah. but with a different brand name. Right. So, so Ben so, was, he, he was working with a therapist, which that a PhD uh, psychologist or was that a uh, psychiatrist or what was she? She is a PsyD, which, okay. I'm, you know, I'm yeah, yeah. so she's, with. a yeah, I know she's not as, she's not, doesn't have as extensive a training, but frankly, the people with the most training are the most uh, crazy about prescribing these drugs. That, those are the psychiatrists. But so Ben was back East in, in short, he was back East. Um, and he was experiencing these horrific side effects and he lost it and called this woman on an answering machine. And then they tracked him down all the way back. Where, where were you in Massachusetts? I was in Northern Virginia. He was in Northern Virginia and they, they tracked his yep. backside down, threw him in a, a prison transport, took him to California, tried him for this whole thing. So go on and pick up the story then. Okay, so I'll, I'll go over the full narrative because it is, it is pretty bizarre, right? So I go to see this therapist between 2004 and 2008. And her specific advice that she gave in the therapy sessions was, you know, and I kept resisting, you know, I, what is this stuff? I don't want to take this medication. I'm, you know, why, why are we starting on this medication, right? 
the specific advice that she gave was, okay, you will have to take this type of medication on and off for the remainder of your life in order to manage the symptoms of depression, right? This is a psychologist, PsyD. Psychologist. And she PsyD. had she was working with a physician, in other words. So she she tried to convince you of the whole thing and then refer you to the guy who wrote the prescription. <clears throat> yeah, but the way that they do it, they're very adamant about both the specific medication and the dosage. And she will even sit you down and say, just to prepare you, this is what it's going to be like when you go and talk to this psychiatrist. Yeah. They have a, they have a system so he doesn't have to spend a lot of time. He just writes prescription after prescription. And he, she probably actually worked for this guy, this, this MD, right? Who knows? Who I, knows? Yeah, I have no idea if there's a financial relationship there. I, you know, but basically the specific advice that she gave is you need to go on and off of this medication for the remainder of your life. Well, the, the most dangerous time periods in this medical treatment are when you're either starting on the medication, coming off of the medication, or making a change in the medication. So switching from Prozac to Lexapro or, you know, Lexapro to Wellbutrin, even those subtle changes, actually going back to the FDA documents, even the change between the brand name version of Lexapro and the generic version of Lexapro escitalopram has been enough to cause multiple suicides, right? Uh, so those are people who died from saving 10 bucks at the pharmacy. Uh, and that's, that's real. That's in, in uh, the adverse drug event reports and the FDA actually published a, um, they don't go back and review the adverse drug reports for adults, but they do for pediatric use. And the pediatric report that they published on this is insane. There's a there's this entire section dedicated to homicidal ideation, right, in the pediatric review for Lexapro and escitalopram. Well, why is any doctor anywhere prescribing a medication with a known reaction of homicidal ideation uh, to 11 year olds, right? Like that's, that's completely, that's nuts. So ben, you can see, I listeners can uh, see how high functional Ben is. And I mean, he's got a, he, he's obviously got a very high IQ and he has studied this stuff and broken it all down until he understands the whole thing. But go back to the narrative of your story. Um, right. you, you, so, you call this woman and, and then the cops show up uh, in a week or something. Right. So I, I leave therapy uh, in 2008. Move to, uh, move to with my life. I move up to Boston for several years. I went to night school at Harvard while I was up there. I was actually right down the street from Glenn Mullen's office, right? And uh, Robert Whitaker. Uh, I eventually moved back to Northern Virginia, right? Let me um, interject. Whitaker is the best single reference about the problems with psych drugs. And his book, uh, what's the, what's it called? The, the, the Not the recent one, the more the older one, 10 years ago. Oh, gosh. Well, his publication is Madden America. And then I think the title of his book was Anatomy of yeah, an Epidemic. Yeah, Anatomy of Epidemic. So that book describes how these drugs have never been studied, for the most part, by double-blind control. They, they haven't gotten sugar pill studies, sugar pill studies, and how freaking addictive and how many problems they have. I mean, this, this, 
this is one of four different psych drugs uh, that uh, Ben has had experience with, but the other three are horrible too. So anyway, anyway, sorry, go ahead with your story. Uh, you got to know all these people, you moved away and eventually- right. So I, I end therapy with this lady. I just didn't think that it was helpful. Yes, yeah. In addition to recommending these medications, basically she just wasn't that great of a therapist. Uh, you know, uh, the advice that she was giving really wasn't wasn't helpful. And it, you know, I was paying one hundred and fifty dollars a month to talk to somebody who just wasn't doing that much to help. Um, so eventually, I moved back to Northern Virginia. And at that point, I was on Wellbutrin, which is a atypical antidepressant. It does not work on serotonin. It works on dopamine, right? Uh, I went to my general practitioner. And by that time, my, my blood, one of the, aside from all the mental health damage that these medications do, my blood pressure was like well over, you know, 180 over some other number. My general practitioner said, that's insane. You know, at your age group, you're not supposed to have these blood pressure levels. You weren't even 30. I was like 39 at that time. Okay. Um, he takes me, you know, so he convinces me, you need to come off of Wellbutrin so we followed the protocol over the course of six months. We uh, taper off the medication. That's how addictive right? these things are. If you immediately go off this stuff, you can have cascading waves of depression and anxiety. And you can also, in, in the case of those SSRIs, have violent behavior. Oh, absolutely. It makes people unbelievably violent, right? Uh, and it can do that almost at any time. Not, not everybody. We'll clarify this. Not everybody, but a few... I mean, if you've got if you've got a quarter of a percent of people who try to kill the next guy in the room, that's a lot of people, you know. And and it's a definite that these things cause this. They knew about them before they released the drugs. Germany, for example, examined the data for Prozac and said, no, 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 we're not going to do it. And then I guess they were bought off. And because you can get and Japan currently, if you try to go into Japan with a, with a bottle of Prozac, they'll throw you in jail. <laughs> they've got it. They've got to figure it out. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. It's true. But, you know, you can you can fill out a special form, you know, you, that you can use it while you're there. And, you know, maybe they'll give you a pass. But and they hardly use any amphetamines. They've got one amphetamine that's available. It's all this is used very sparingly. So they've they've got it figured out a lot better than we do. Uh, anyway, they do. Sorry. Yeah. Right. So you know, I'm going to interject one more thing that the audience should understand. Um, you know, Ben referred to the dopamine theory and the, uh, the, the serotonin theory. Well, these, these things are, uh, they're theories. They're not established science. Um, you've heard of the chemical imbalance in the brain theory. The audience have all hear, heard of that. And the, you know, the, the way this, these things are sold is that they correct the chemical imbalance in the brain. Well, that was actually invented in a marketing department of a drug company. That's not a uh, science. It's just horseshit. So anyway, sorry, Ben, to interrupt your story. I just got to uh, just <laughs> fill out the background for the listeners. But anyway, go ahead. You So you were you sitting at your desk somewhere and the cops showed up and threw you in handcuffs? No, no, no. Okay. So what they did was um, that, you know, I transitioned off of Wellbutrin. Uh, you know, my blood pressure went back to normal levels. I talked to my general practitioner about it and said, you know, we've been over this and over this and over this. 
a thousand times, I'm supposed to take my medication. All of the doctors, including the, the therapist, have been very clear about this. You have to stay on your medication. You have to be consistent, and you need to take the required dosage. You need to take the required dosage, right? Uh, so I talked to him, and he said, okay, well, what other medications did they give you and which one worked? And the, the therapist had always been very clear we finally found the right medication for you. Lexapro is really helping. I can notice a major change in your voice right now. You sound so much better. And so I told him the honest truth. You know, I'm supposed to take Lexapro. You know, the, the doctor has been very clear about this. And I really wasn't clear on what the differences were. Nobody is. You're not clear about it because nobody knows. I mean, the lady's name is Dr. J, right? So like, why would you assume that she is not, in fact, a fully credentialed doctor? Well, she's got uh, the same credentials the other psychologists have, which is absolutely nothing. Anyway, right. so sorry, uh, that's my editorial. <laughs> no, she has no medical training. She's never done fellowship. She's never done residency. She's neither, do not... the, neither do the psychiatrists, frankly. <laughs> no, but really? I'm sorry. Well, I'm, 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 I'm making it. I'm. This is an exaggeration for the sake of. But you know. Psychiatric illnesses are known as functional illnesses because there are no labs, no physical findings, nothing except for the story that is used to justify the medication use and the diagnosis. So it's, 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 it's fraudulent from start to finish. And their DSM, which you're very familiar with, which is their diagnostic and statistical manual that they use to make these diagnoses is fabricated by industry paid doctors. And it's essentially a, a drug marketing guide right now. So, and that all the documentation for that is in my Butchered by Healthcare book. But I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't take over your, your story, Ben, but you're so analytical. You're, you're an Eskimo that knows many shades of snow. You know, a hundred words for snow. And you, you, have, you have figured this thing out to the nth degree. And I'm trying to pull out the color from you about, about what happened. So go ahead and uh, work on your story a little bit. Right. I, you're you're so obviously super high functional. I'm sure you're doing very well uh, with your with your software work and all that stuff. And so I, I hope the uh, listeners respect uh, your, your story. Right. So years later, uh, and this is now in July of 2017, uh, what happened was I started to develop a, a condition called akathisia after going back on Lexapro which is exactly what the therapist had told me to do many, many, many times, right? And akathisia is a form of, the, you it's know, a it's this- horrible restlessness. A hor it's what produces the suicides and the violence. And it, it, you, you're irrational and you can hardly control yourself. Yeah, no, there's no form of rational. People cannot think logically when this is happening, when the chemical of the balance of the brain is disrupted, they're totally off the wall. They're not even in this dimension anymore. And, right? and this is a spectrum. Some people are just restless. Some people are just a little anxious. And but some people are out of control and they they freaking do violent acts, including mass murders. Right. So, yeah, this starts to happen at the office. Right. And uh, my supervisors at work notice they, you know, call me in to have a meeting. They say, hey, you know, you're great. We love the work that you're doing. Uh, we notice that you're getting up from your desk every three to five minutes and you just can't sit still. 
and it was a cybersecurity company, so they actually went and pulled the badge in and badge out for uh, me exiting, entering and exiting the building. And it turned out that I had been entering and standing up from my desk, entering and exiting, walking, you know, 100 yards away, entering and exiting the building every three to five minutes for about a month and a half, right? Hundreds of times and, a day. Yeah. And not only was I doing this, I was completely unaware of the fact that this is, is even happening. If you ask somebody who's under the influence of the medication uh, about any of the side effects, the answer you will get is what side effects, right? And that includes things as severe as tardive dyskinesia, where people are experiencing involuntary facial and limb movements. 92%. For the listeners, people have, you've seen these people on the street, the people who move their, their mouths in funny ways, and they sometimes they lick uh, around their mouth, and it's a repetitive motion. This is one of the dreaded uh, side effects of the more serious, you know, the regarded as more serious, uh, older antipsychotics, but now it's become known to be caught to, to uh, be um, uh, produced by SSRIs, which have always been claimed to be perfectly safe. Right. And Initially, they thought the medical community uh, for 50 years believed that tardive dyskinesia was actually a characteristic of uh, schizophrenia, right? Instead and of the was, drug. It's the, it's the drugs it, that were being used, yeah. Yeah, in the 70s, they actually proved that's not a symptom of schizophrenia. It's the medication that we're using to treat people who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. The Thorazine class drugs, the older antipsychotic drugs, uh, and, and the, they were basically terrible. And the newer antipsychotic drugs were marketed as having less of this, but actually, it they produce a lot of it. I mean, and it's permanent. Many of these people are, they're basically stuck with this behavior for their life. And may, maybe a few of them resolved, but I don't, I never heard of one that resolved. Uh, they do. Uh, for for the antipsychotics, the, the TD is really, really bad. It can be permanent. Uh, for SSRIs, I think it's, it's less common and hopefully mine is going away. I still have the teeth grinding. Right. And the um, head snapping still occurs. That's three years after coming off the medication. Wow. Uh, so in 2017, I developed akathisia uh, and, and, you know, the doctors differ on what they call it. Some of them call it serotonin toxicity. Some of them call it akathisia. But I'm sitting there in an office in Springfield, Virginia, when I start sweating profusely, uh, get disoriented. Uh, walk into the bathroom and I, I specifically remember that my face was, uh, you know, doing its own thing without my consent, right? The, the jaw snapping um, and then proceed to roam around Washington, D.C., exactly like what you're describing, uh, having some kind of bizarre episode during which I called the emergency phone number of the therapist who you uh, trusted and you liked her, even though you decided it wasn't that great. You liked her, you trusted you know, her. I mean, she's, you know, I mean, basically I just realized she's not that great of a doctor. She's, you know, fine. Uh, this probably is the wrong therapist for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you, um, you called her up and you, tried I, to get I, called her up and 
you know, just to be clear, nobody's defending in any way what's on these confidential audio recordings. It's, it's horrific. You know, it's exactly what would you, for legal reasons, I'm not going to get into exactly what I said. Um, the, you know, I still have a privilege and the state of California does not have the right to play these audio recordings. Uh, you know, they don't have the right to play them in court. Privilege belongs to the patient. Uh, but I will say that it's, it's horrific. It's, uh, you know, not anything that, that I would have would ever do in my life. But what would you expect someone on a class of medication that has a known side effect of homicidal ideation, mania, and acute <laughs> psychosis to sound like over the phone? And you hadn't even and, spoken to this woman or seen her for years. It had been a little bit over eight years. Right? Eight years. So, yeah. so you were obviously not operating with all your cylinders firing if you're calling somebody you hadn't seen or talked to for eight years. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's not, cylinders are not firing. When, when people are on this stuff, uh, there's actually brain scans where they prove uh, with these MRI brain scans that these people are not even legally conscious, right? They're able to perform actions. Dr. Healy refers to it as uh, automatism, right? I mean, you can get up, you can walk around. This happens with Ambien, Zolpidem. It's almost like sleepwalking. Yeah, uh, Ambien was a sleeping pill that I believe got pulled off the market because people would actually get up in the middle of the night and try to drive to work <laughs> Yeah, yeah. while they were asleep. So the audio recordings are horrific. They're extremely threatening. They're extremely violent, you know, uh, and it actually says on page one of the medication guide, they do not inform patients that this is, is uh, a potential outcome. But they do say, if anything unusual happens, call if your health care. unusual doctor. happens, call your health yeah. care. Oh if you God. just stabbed yourself to death, yeah. call your health care practitioner right away uh, or dial 911 in the event of an emergency. I mean, that's it's page one of the medication guide. Uh, so the therapist that takes offense to this uh, clearly misses the fact that this is the emergency psychiatric phone line that she has set up. And then, you know, to be clear, they didn't send the police to come get me. The police came and interviewed me. The Springfield police, Virginia police came and interviewed me. And they sat me down and said, you know, um, we aren't going to place you under arrest, but we just want you to know there's a triple felony warrant in for your arrest in the state of California. And, you know, the honest answer back was what voicemails? Right. Like I, this is a month and a half after the incidents and going to send the police to, you know, scream in the face of somebody who's having this medical issue. That's like the equivalent of attempting to take an Alzheimer's patient and have them interrogated. I mean, you're not going to get any real answer. Somebody with tardive dyskinesia <coughs> does not it's know. entirely involuntary. I, I mean, they, what information would you expect to get from a tardive dyskinesia patient, right? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. So you didn't get arrested right then. No, no, no. They what they did, but the therapist knew from the therapy sessions that I was going to join the reserves, the military, 
and that I had, would, was getting a federal government job offer that required a TSSCI full scope polygraph investigation, right? Yeah, yeah. And so what they did was she effectively pseudo blackmailed me into saying, the police said, we can't place you under arrest because you're not in California, but they're putting together a warrant to have you arrested. And if you don't fly out to California and appear at this restraining order hearing, this is going to come up on your security clearance, your career is over, right? Uh, so I immediately went home and called an attorney. Uh, my own defense attorney told me, no, 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 don't worry. This is just a voicemail message. You're definitely not going to jail. He spent three hours on the phone convincing me to fly out to. He told you to my come. Defense yeah, great fly out to uh san diego you know so you got to make this court appearance this isn't a big deal but we do need you here and then he walked me into the chula vista courthouse for the arraignment handed me off to the sheriff and disappeared for three days while i got thrown in a holding cell you mean he flew to california with you or he's a california attorney he's a california attorney oh, I, he's, I called and hired an attorney in san diego you'd never met him before uh no you know yeah. i mean what would you do if you were charged with a crime you hire an attorney and right. then you exit your fifth amendment privilege and you don't say anything yeah yeah right yeah. uh so they immediately took me into custody so i was held in a holding cell with a bunch of guys that are detoxing on heroin <laughs> the, the holding cell is the scariest possible place because whatever these guys were on that got them arrested they're still on it in the holding cell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I was in the holding cell. They charged me. I'm charged with uh, three counts of PC-422. Uh, it took about a year for them to convict me going through, you know, where I would have to fly out and appear at these hearings. You were out on bail. Yeah, I was out on bail. It was uh, $100,000 bail um, over a voicemail message. And at no point in time does this therapist ever disclose the fact, oh, by the way, you know, at the second restraining order hearing, I believe my attorney, he asked me for the bottle of medication. He said, do you have that medication with you, the one she was telling you to take? I said, yeah. And I handed him, you know, I had it in my suit pocket, so I pulled it out and handed it to him. And uh, he ran over to the therapist and said, here, this is what he took. And even holding the pill bottle in her hand and examining it with all these FDA black box warnings that have been issued, nobody ever identifies that this is a medical reaction yeah. and that it's, it's, the, it's the medication that's causing this. Yeah. You know, years later after getting out, talking to uh, Dr. Gachi, Gertrude. Sorry, I'm sure. Yeah, that's all right. I'm destroying the name. Uh, and looking Dr. At Gertrude is the uh, one of the famous healthcare whistleblowers. Uh, he's from Sweden, right? Or is it Norway? And he's one of the founders of Cochrane Reviews, which is the most respected source in medicine. And he has written many books about, uh, I mean, his books are freaking horrifying. I mean, they're just, if you, I, you can hardly read them because they're so bad about medical corruption and in particular psychiatric drug uh, problems that uh, really proved to me that they shouldn't be used at all. I, yeah, I, I would agree. I, and the other thing that, you know, most people focus on the violent effects or the suicidal effects. Yeah, of there's these a lot drugs. of other effects. 
The other thing that's highly in question is the efficacy. Uh, is this even an effective treatment for uh, symptoms of depression? And the answer on that is no, it, it's not. Definitely the, changes people. Definitely addicts people. Definitely causes a lot of problems. How, yeah, how much? Number, it, yeah, it's not a specific patients. treatment for depression or anxiety. The, yeah, the, the number of patients Sorry. report the number of patients who report any improvement on the drugs never exceeds the placebo effect, right? And and Dr. Healy and Dr. Antonuccio published a number of papers on that. You could literally give the same effect from distributing sugar pills uh, without any of the dangerous side effects, right? So to get back to the narrative, uh, we go through all the pretrial conference hearings. At no point in time does the therapist ever tell me that I need to come off of the medication or disclose the fact that this is a known side effect of the medication. We go all the way through the trial. Uh, there's no way to defend myself in court uh, because this information is deliberately withheld from patients. Because if you told them what the side effects of the medication were, they'd never take they'd never it. Never take it. Yeah. Uh, I so I was sentenced to two years, uh, and I basically kept bringing up the fact I don't live in California. How do you even have jurisdiction here? And the answer was you live here now. Uh, so I went to I did ten and a half months at the Chino California Institution for Men. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the California prison system, there's a, a film called American History X with Edward Norton, and that was actually shot at Chino. <laughs> uh, so it, it's not quite as bad as what you see in the movies, but it's pretty bad, right? Uh, and when you first go, you're in reception, which is where they take you into the prison system. So they perform a bunch of medical tests. Uh, during that time period, I was in the Madrone house at Chino, which is a single cell environment. So it's similar to solitary confinement um, for four and a half months. Uh, and the maximum, the rule is the maximum that they're supposed to keep you in there is eight weeks because they found that people that they kept in uh, solitary for longer than that can't readjust to society when they get out. Uh, I then finished off my time about the last six months at SEC. It's the Sierra Conservation Center and, and was released on parole um, where I was required to report to a mental health meeting once a month where they offered me, guess what, more fluoxetine. Right. So were you on or off the medications when you were in prison? I was off the medications and it is horrific. Yeah, I can imagine. It right. takes a year so, uh, or more. Whatever it, people never recover. What, whatever it is uh, that you're on the day you go to prison, you're, you're just off of it cold turkey that day. I mean, you can submit a 22 form and attempt to get uh, mental health counseling or medication, which I, which I did. But it's going to take them a couple of months to get back to you on that. And it, you really don't have any control over whether you have access to to continuing the medication while you're in prison. Uh, so that I, was actually I a good out. thing. <laughs> that was a good thing. That was a blessing. Yeah, that was a one good surprise. Yeah. Right? Um, but uh, yeah, so I came off. I went through psychiatric drug withdrawal in a single-celled environment. Took months. 
months, anxiety and depression. Oh, that was still, the withdrawal symptoms were still going on when I got out of prison over a year later. I mean, I, I still have these obscure, yeah. the head snapping, it happened one time in a meeting at Google and it just this, freaks see, audience, out. this is how high functional this guy is. He's, he's a, his firm is Google contractor, right? Yeah, no, no, I was a, a TVC. Actually, that's the interesting part of the story. <laughs> we haven't gotten the interesting part yet. So, you know, while I was in prison, I knew, okay, I'm going to need to try to overturn this conviction. And so I traded five chocolate chip cookies uh, for a postage stamp, which is something that's also used as currency in prison. And I wrote a letter to my dad where I asked him, can you send me textbooks on C, C++, Java, and Angular front-end development? And then I sat there and studied computer science by myself, by hand, on a little notebook in the Madrone house at Chino. And when I got out of prison, they give you a $200 JPay card to buy a train ticket back to wherever it is you came from. So I was able to convince the parole office. Initially, they wanted me to permanently relocate to Chula Vista. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. Which is the location <laughs> of the therapist's office where they were going to give me more fluoxetine. Right. So I was able to convince them to let me go to my aunt's house here in the Bay Area instead. Where I got online, did a bunch of interviews, lined up a two-year contract as a front-end user developer at Google's Sunnyvale campus. And basically, I thought, okay, these guys are probably going to laugh me out of the interview. You know, am I really a high-level computer scientist at the Google level? But after facing down a Samoan prison gang leader, it's like <laughs> not that scary. The Samoan prison gang leader threatened to have me killed every single day for part of dyskinesia, these involuntary facial movements, right? He thought you were making fun of him. They, they think you're making weird faces at him on yeah, purpose. Yeah. You couldn't right. educate and those guys. Was, they, they're not capable of learning. He thought it was going to cause problems for the rest of the Filipino and Vietnamese inmates if you don't stop making these weird faces. Uh, and so, you know, after that, just doing the Google interview was like not that big of a deal. <laughs> so I walked in. They asked me a bunch of questions about computer science algorithms like a depth-first search, breadth-first search which I answered, they gave me the job. And then I took my first couple paychecks and, and hired Pat Ford, who is a, uh, you know, Supreme, United States Supreme court level attorney to try to overturn this, this thing. And in researching it, I found Dr. Selma at Kellenboom. There is a DNA test. It's called a CYP 450 DNA analysis that confirms how likely is it that this is going to happen to a patient. And it turns out that I have five genetic variations. Three of them are to the liver enzymes that metabolize Lexapro. And so it is to an absolute medical certainty that those voicemail messages were caused by escitalopram and Lexapro. And then for the last four years, we've been going back and attempting to convince the state and federal courts to vacate my conviction and or hold a retrial and we have been denied at every possible level 
So um, we're, we're going to pick this up in a, just a moment and show that Ben's experiences are not that unusual. There, there are far worse stories than this. And the number of people who are involved with this are in uh, places on the internet. You can find, you can find them and we'll, we'll go into all that. But I just want to uh, help the listeners understand that Ben is not an unusual story. I mean, his, the, the, the problem that getting thrown in jail is unusual, but there are, there are horrific violence, horrific problems that, uh, that, that we can uh, cite and point the listeners to references to. Oh, absolutely. So after I get out of prison, I sit down and I research this issue and I find out that I am only one of tens of thousands of people who have had these reactions, many of whom are now dead, right? So there is a database at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in Washington, D.C. on the East Coast, and it's called FAERS, F-A-E-R-S. It's the Federal Adverse Event Reporting System. Similar to the vaccine reporting system called VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Reporting System. It, it's yeah, and I'm sure yeah. if you looked in, in their their database, uh, they have an uh, unbelievable amount of reports about this. Uh, for every form of psychoactive medication, uh, escitalopram, Lexapro currently has 2,289 reports for homicidal ideation. Those are just their voluntary reporting. So that's an under, there's an underreporting factor of 10 to 100 in there. These are voluntary yeah. reports. These are, these are just what the uh, healthcare providers, and it takes 20, 30 minutes to fill this thing out. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a bother. And m most psychiatrists wouldn't even bother. No, the FDA openly admits that that only accounts for 1% to 10% of the adverse re reactions that really occur. Under reporting factor of between 10 and 100, in other words. Yeah. So yeah. Lexapro has 38 reports for homicide. That's where patients were issued uh, an antidepressant to cheer them up and they ended up murdering someone. I, I don't know if we want to tell David Carmichael's story. I mean, that is, it's horrific. It's so bad that I don't know. I'm not even sure if you can stand to listen, but if you want to outline that just for a moment, that's, that's one example out of thousands that could be uh, trotted forth. And uh, I think the, the best place for your listeners to understand this better is uh, Ely, uh, not Ely, uh, Whitaker's website. Uh, what is, is it Madden America? Uh, Madden America. Yeah. He's got an excellent publication, Madden America. Madden America. It's a huge website with all these commentators, all these patients that have been damaged. And uh, it, it's, it's just amazing that the, we get away with prescribing this garbage uh, in the face of these side effects and problems and, in a, and lack of efficacy. But do yeah. you want to tell Healy's story or is that too much? I mean, it's, it's freaking uh, horrible. Carmichael, uh, right. So Not David Healy. Carmichael. Yeah, David Carmichael. Sorry. Uh, just to give listeners an idea of how extreme these, you know, what the FDA deems rare reactions really are. David Carmichael was uh, uh, issued an antidepressant called Paxil. And while he was under treatment with this, which is legally prescribed by his doctor, you know, he took it uh, according to the right dosage. He was consistent. And then he went completely psychotic and he... Uh, psychotic means you don't understand reality. Had paranoid delusions and he strangled his 10-year-old son, Ian. After a, dosage, was, after a dosage increase. 
that he was yeah. compliant with. He, he he agreed to take the dose because he thought it would help. The psychiatrist, the psychi he had he had episodes of unreality, and the psychiatrist told him that all he needed to do was take more Paxil, <laughs> and then he killed his kid. Right, and one consistent trend, uh, you know, I've been issuing Freedom of Information Act requests about this uh, since I was released from prison. Uh, one consistent trend throughout all the detailed narrative reports uh, is that the patients do not recognize in any way uh, that their behavior has been altered. And of the patients that did commit a homicide while under the influence of SSRIs, uh, the vast majority of them killed a member of their own family, right? Which is kind of difficult to understand. But these episodes are completely unpredictable. They happen at random points in time. And who are you around most of the time? Your family members, right? So, so there's a... The follow-up on the Carmichael story is that he, he was uh, tried found uh, to be uh, clinically insane and they let him off. He spent five years in a psych facility, but he was not, uh, he was not convicted of murder. Um, he was not convicted of murder. And he is, you know, what the media has portrayed David Carmichael as does not match the reality of the situation at all. He is running an antidepressant awareness campaign called know your drugs in Canada right now and doing everything possible. He's traveling to different medical organizations uh, to try to warn people that, you know, this is real uh, and this does happen to real people. And the statistics are staggering. It is, it is not in any way as rare as what the pharmaceutical industry would like you to believe. You're trying to market against somebody that's got uh, billions of dollars in marketing uh, power a year. Uh, another similar, well, Another similar story is Wendy Dolan's story. And uh, David Carmichael, uh, Carmichael's story can be found on madinamerica.com, right? You can you can search for his name on madinamerica.com. Yeah, he's actually written several articles yeah. on Madden America. And, and then another very similar story is uh, the, the woman, the wife of the guy that killed himself after he took two weeks worth of Paxil, right? He threw himself in front of a train. He is a very functional guy who obviously wasn't suicidal before um she started an organization called m-i-s-s-d is that it ben yeah m-i-s-s-d.co and they're dedicated to spreading awareness of akathisia same story which is this agitation and it's accompanied with an inability to sit still and a lot of people who are under the influence of this medication have this at a low level and the doctors never detect it. It's very hard to diagnose. The belief from the doctors that the medications they're prescribing are helpful is so deeply ingrained that when patients do have these types of adverse reactions uh, in, in the FDA reports, what the doctors almost always do is increase the dosage and or add concurrent medications, right? Yeah. So they'll give somebody 10 milligrams of Paxil. When they start to become akathistic, they will then increase the dosage to 30 milligrams. Uh, if that doesn't work, they'll add Ativan or yeah. Xanax. Or, or an atypical antipsychotic. Give them a, they right. give them a little, a little grab bag of pills. 
And then uh, they will continue doing that until the patient's dead. <laughs> well, let's hope it doesn't, doesn't happen all the time. The military is a very similar situation. The military psychiatrists are absolutely insane. They, they, they sedate and they give multiple medications to all uh, a tremendous, maybe a quarter or a third of these um, military people. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Actually, I, I grew up in a military family. I grew up on a military basis. One point that I, I do really want to get in here is uh, they did a study. The DOD has access to everything for all the soldiers. There's no privacy, right? You're the, the property of the federal government of the United States. So that's a very important study because they have access to all the data. And they went back and today's modern military during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan had the highest suicide rate they've ever had, more than Vietnam, more than Korea, more than World War II. Has to be causally related to the SSRIs. We know it. Yeah, we know and, they're and, all on SSRIs and it's, it's causally related. Yeah, what they found was that the vast majority of the soldiers who committed suicide uh, while they were on SSRIs uh, had never been deployed, right? They've never been to see combat. They served didn't out have stress, didn't have the PTSD. In yeah. Colorado or Texas. But they're classifying these as combat fatigue. These guys are committing suicide because, you know, they're so stressed out from uh, seeing combat. And, and for some of them, maybe that's true. But for a lot of them, uh, the figure is right now 17.5% of the active duty U.S. Air Force is on some form of active uh, psychiatric. 75%? 17, 17. 17, 17. So that matches with the general population. It's about uh, 17, 18, 19% with the general population, right. which is obscene and absurd on the face of it. These drugs don't work. They're toxic. I mean, even the least the least toxic ones are the benzos, right? Like Valium. And these things are still tremendously addictive. The Xanax trials were failures, but they let the drug on the market anyway. It, it, the drugs, it, it decreased anxiety for two weeks. It was it broke even for two weeks. And when they tried to withdraw the patients after four to six weeks, the stuff was far worse than never putting them on any, you know, the patient's far worse off. So they're, they're addictive. And uh, those are the, those are the most benign of the four uh, medications that psychiatrists use. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah, and and it's, it's bizarre. I mean, if you look at the data coming back from the military, why are these guys that have never been deployed committing suicide uh, at a much higher rate than during any other engagement by the U S military? Yeah. And the only consistent factor is that today's modern American military is the most medicated military that's ever existed, right? Yeah. These are young people. I mean, they, they, I can hardly, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Also, oh, they're very young. You can join when you're 18, you know, and you can get your parents to sign a waiver when you're 17. Uh, so basically, in order to uh, attempt to warn people, I then created a website, it's antidepressantstatistics.com, and what we've done is take all the statistics from the FDA specific to violence uh, reports for SSRIs and made that information public. Um, and so you can look at the numbers for yourself. There is no local database. That data comes directly from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. And then an attempt to overturn my conviction, I created wrongfulSSRIconvictions.com, 
where I uploaded all the evidence uh, from my case as well as others. Um, there are multiple people that are, I'm very lucky, most of the people this has happened to are serving life sentences. Uh, so, you know, they are people that are, are in prison uh, for the remainder of their life. Uh, David Crespi will, will spend the remainder of his life in prison. Outline his story briefly for the audience. Right. So David Crespi was a senior vice president at uh, a bank chain that is now Wachovia Bank, right? And he was issued Prozac for seven days along with other concurrent medications that included, I believe, Ambien, Lunesta, and Trazodone. Uh, and, uh, he eventually became so psychotic, uh, and it was legal. It's legal for the doctors to prescribe this stuff. And there's no warning, um, that he stabbed his two five-year-old daughters to death. Uh, this story was on Oprah. This is real. This really happened. And when the, and then called 911 and said, uh, you know, you better come over. I think something's gone wrong. I've just murdered my two five-year-old daughters. Right. And when they interviewed him and asked him, you know, why this happened, he initially stated that he believed the lawn sprinklers in the backyard were telling him to murder his children. And uh, under the influence of the drugs, he believed them and he did it. Uh, and same as me, he's got the same, you know, I've written to him in prison. He's got the same exact DNA results. Uh, and the pharmaceutical companies knew uh, as early as, as he's probably for a lot longer than that, that these, uh, these reactions were going to occur. And they, um, they continued to market these medications anyway. Is, is that test used clinically? In other words, there's no one screens the people before they give them these drugs, do they? No, they don't. It's a research tool. If they ever do run that DNA analysis, uh, they use it as a tool to convince people to start on SSRI medication. So we've run this DNA test. Let us tell you which one is the right medication for God. you. God. But uh, the research paper is from two brilliant scientific researchers. Uh, Lucir and Crotty, it was published in Australia, I believe, in 2006. And so that's come up in multiple court trials. And, and so far, the uh, United States court system, whether it's at the state or the federal level, has decided to simply ignore the DNA evidence. Well, um, one of my friends wrote a book about this, and I'm, I'm blocking out her name, right? Martha Rosenberg. And she said that we'd never seen women who drowned their own children or any of these crazy, crazy events, you know, these elderly people uh, uh, knifing their spouses and all this stuff before the onset of the SSRI era. So, I mean, it's a tragedy. Yeah. And, you know, Big Pharma is going to kill me for saying this online, but there is, a, there is also an incredibly disturbing trend where many, if not all of these mass shooters that you're seeing at some point, we're treated with SSRI medication. Yeah, right. That's right. That, that's the many of the observers believe they're, that's causal as well. But the problem is that you have so many damn people on the medications that it's hard. It's hard to say that that's the the reason. But uh, I I think it's it's obvious it must be the reason for some of it. 
They uh, either were growing. It's a huge contributing factor. I mean, it would have to be. Um, and people have been trying to prove that for a long time. But uh, any of these big shootings that you see, um, in, in some way they are connected to treatment with these medications that the FDA openly admits cause irritability, hostility, aggressive behavior. Um, you know, so I, to me, that seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Well, Ben, I mean, this is a pleasure talking to you. I mean, this guy is obviously so bright that Google didn't care about a criminal history that he was, he was better than anybody they had probably. And he trained himself (laughs) from a couple of books. He'd never, you'd never been a computer programmer before you went to prison. Right. So you just studied it yourself for a year. Well, you, uh, you no, I was, you I were, was, that's I was right. You were, like you were gamer. Yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, going from doing some web development for a nonprofit in Washington, DC to being a Google level software engineer. That's a oh, big leap. It's a big, right? leap. that's, that is, it's harder to get one of those jobs than it is to get into Harvard. That's the story. Certainly harder than it is to get into the rest of the Ivies. You know, it's, it's a, it, they're one in a thousand. So um, I, I want to wrap this up by, I, I'm not going to mention the name of this drug, but it's the drug that they're attempting to give to everyone in the world multiple times right now. And the, the information about that is, it's, it's at least as bad as the psych drugs. And they're not talking about 20% of the population. They're talking about everybody everywhere in the world needs to get this drug. And the data on that is in a similar database, uh, which is, I mean, it's horrible. And just like the, uh, the st- statistics you quoted in um, about the military, we have whistleblowers in the military who are reporting the, uh, the problems and the neurological diseases have gone up uh, 20 times, uh, fatalities have gone up. I mean, it's just, and uh, spontaneous abortions, you know, miscarriages have gone up. I mean, it's just, it's a horrible story. And uh, nobody seems to be able to get around the marketing. Uh, and, you know, as, as uh, Lennon once said, a lie repeated and often enough becomes the truth. And that we're facing a wall of propaganda. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's and a fantastic that, quote. Well, that was repeated by the Nazis, right? I mean, the Stalinists and, and the Nazis uh, had the same idea. Very, you can find almost identical quotes by them. Uh, but we we face the the worst propagandists, the biggest propagandists, the most powerful propagandists in history. And uh, you know, we're we're crossing our fingers that uh, we can reverse some of it with our little websites and our our little podcasts, which are so far not uh, censored. So I, I'm grateful for your time, Ben. Is there anything else? We'll put your uh, links in the show notes, but is there anything else you need to add that we missed? Just that, you know, I, I grew up on U.S. military bases. I, I signed up to do my time in the service. They killed my enlistment by throwing me in prison for taking the medication that they told me to take. And I always believed that the federal government was benevolent, that it was there to do the right thing, and uh, the first question I had when I started researching this was, why is this legal? Why doesn't the FDA, the FDA simply would not allow this. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is that they're, they are, they're, they're fully aware of it. Uh, they're allowing it to happen. Um, you know, and it's, it's a huge disappointment to me. Um, yeah, you've eaten the corner of the red pill. I've got to help you with the rest of it. 
The FDA is 50% funded by pharmaceutical companies during the patent application process through user fees. So they are a branch of you know, Pfizer's marketing department, essentially. And so everything that they say, everything you hear from the FDA is exactly opposite. It's exactly wrong. And uh, the, the, uh, the uh, anyway, I'm almost inarticulate, but you can pick up on the rest of my uh, material in uh, robertyoho.substack.com. Um, yeah, the amount of money that they are pouring into both the FDA and Congress is unbelievable. Big Pharma is now contributing more money directly to Congress than all DOD contractors combined. Well, you understand, yeah, you understand that uh, the medical health care in America is $4 trillion industry, and that's the same size as the, as the federal government. The federal government gets $3.5 trillion yeah. in revenues, and they, you know, they're spending much more, maybe another trillion. What's a trillion here or there? But uh, essentially, uh, uh, health care controls the, the uh, Congress and uh, the Senate and, you know, the courts and everyone else. I mean, it's, it's horrible. You can't get into the Congress or the Senate unless you're taking money from the pharmaceutical yeah, industry. It's probably true. You know, and, and, and at this point, I think it, the pharmaceutical corporations effectively own the FDA outright. They simply exactly. bought, it's a subsidiary they just bought a drug regulatory agency that yeah. oversees them. The term of art is regulatory capture. And that's we've yeah. seen that in the finance financial industries uh, industry with the banks and the uh, what, their regulatory agency. What is that? The F. It's the uh, 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 FDIC. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah. So it was well known there, but uh, I mean we're facing a wall of propaganda, and it's 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 I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. You're going to have to live through it. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> You're going to have to live through the rest <laughs> of it. So you better you better fight, Ben. You're you're yeah. No, I, well, we're still fighting it now. We're so yeah. you know we're still we're gonna fight the California Attorney General's on this for, office on this for the next two years at least. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, there's I, there's a lot of bills before um, before the California legislature that are tremendously malignant. They involve sticking this drug into into uh, babies. You know, it's it's outrageous uh, and. and at any point, they could pass something that would be a, a tremendous adverse consequence for the state, and it's horrible. But yeah, we're not but Australia, I, and we're I, not Canada yet. I absolutely love your book, uh, Butchered by Healthcare. It's outstanding. And the thing that I love about it is that you're not really making an emotional argument here. You go back with specific facts, and you refer to the specific laws that are allowing this to happen. Uh, and and why that financial influence is there. So I think it it's great. I'm actually adding a link uh, to your book on my website. So thank you. Thank it's a it's a background. So you, you can you can link this uh, podcast if you'd like. Um, it's the background for the pandemic, basically, and it was published right before the whole thing started. And I didn't understand the pandemic freaking until a year ago. I mean, I didn't get it. I was not an early, it takes me a while. I'm like Winnie the Pooh. I have to go around the circle three or four times before I figured it out. So. Yeah, I know. It's, it's unbelievable, you know, and uh, the, the pharmaceutical companies made enough money and they got enough clout in the government off antidepressants that they have now come up uh with this uh pandemic uh and they they're controlling 
the government's decisions on that, and they are generating an absolutely unbelievable amount of yeah, money. Yeah, this thing, this thing is not just the most profitable drug in history. It's the most profitable product in history, probably. It's you compare it with the iPhone on a yearly net revenue, or compare it with Coca-Cola. I mean, it's just incredible. But we we can't. We're not going to solve all those problems today. I think I better cut it off unless you have one or two more. <laughs> that's unless the you, next podcast. Yeah, we'll fix that podcast. <laughs> unless, do you have any other points you need to make that we missed? No, that was great. Uh, I, you know, I really appreciate the chance to do the show and uh, and get this information out there. Ben, I'll refer you to other podcasters. You deserve to be heard. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, your book's, your book's fantastic. I really hope people do pick it up and, and take a look at it. Thanks again, and we'll chat soon. Okay, thanks, Robert.